0: He said, passion is a wild horse and very few learn to ride him well. You know, all those benefits of passion are great. But if you don't ride passion, you will trample flowers you're supposed to protect and you'll ride past landscape you're supposed to enjoy. And you'll end up in a place at a time you were never meant to be. So put some reins on passion. Lip Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Where faith comes to life.
1: Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowle. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, faith and ministry. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, the latest news, reviews, columnists and more. Subscribe now for just three ninety five a month at premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. Today on the show I'm speaking to Ariana Walker, the founder of Mercy UK, a Christian charity which helps young women with life-controlling issues such as self-harm, addiction and eating disorders. We spoke about her own faith journey, how the Mercy UK home began and how Ariana has experienced God's miraculous provision. Let's listen in now. So Ariana Walker is the CEO of Mercy UK, which is a charity that I absolutely love. Um, it is all about restoring hope and transforming lives. Now, this is your 15th anniversary year, isn't it, this year?
0: It is. It's, we're 15 years old as a, as a charity and I've actually just done my 16th year because it took us a little while to get the home open. I thought it would be nice if we started by you just telling us a little bit about your background. What kind of family did you grow up in? Oh, I was raised as a, a pastor's kid. So I was raised in a Christian home uh, my parents were pastors and missionaries. They worked for Open Doors. Um, my dad's Dutch, so I was raised in Holland until I was 13. And uh, they used to work for Open Doors back in the early days, new brother Andrew personally. And uh, as a child, we used to smuggle Bibles across. but I didn't know this, obviously, I thought we were on a, on a family holiday, but we'd be in a camper van, me and my brother and um, them and there's a a little dutch family going on holiday around uh, eastern europe but in fact we were smuggling bibles and meeting up with the uh, persecuted church over behind the iron curtain giving my age away a little bit and they did that many for many years yeah very happy childhood Uh, we moved back to england when i was about 13. we were of that era and that generation of christians that we believe that good things shouldn't happen to bad people where you know we're in the world but not of the world so there's a protection and there's a an immunity i think that we believe nobody ever said that but there was this expectation i think that as my parents were going about their life as pastors and ticking all the boxes of boxes of doing everything right that there was a little bit of a naivety i think that life should be good uh, we have a right to have a good life as Christians yeah. and under the protection of God and bad things don't come near our home uh, and so it became a bit of a shock uh, it wasn't even on our radar when disaster struck and when trauma hit our family. That's quite interesting yes.
1: isn't it because your your ministry now is quite
0: tied in to,
1: to what yes. happened to your family and, and particularly to your your sister's story so do you want yes. to... Um, a little bit about, about Debbie and her background.
0: Yes. You know, everyone's got a why behind their what, haven't they? And I think for someone like me who's poured my life into starting a ministry over here in, in this country and, and, a, and a charity, there's always got to be something that drives you forward. And for me, it really is the everything that happened to my sister. So uh, picking up the story from our childhood, my childhood, I'm the oldest of five. Uh, th- there's a big gap between us. So it was me and my brother for many years uh, and then 10 years between me and, and Debbie. And then there's another two below that. So there's 12 years between me and the youngest mm-hmm. and, and the oldest. So um, we, they have moved away. i have been married for a little while. I got married quite young. And um, my sister started what they, what my parents called being rebellious. Um, she was 12. She didn't want to go to church anymore. She became, became, her personality changed quite a lot. for three years, between the ages of 12 to 15, we saw a huge deterioration in her behavior. Uh, But my parents, the framework they had for that was rebellion. She's walked away from God. She's got in with the wrong crowd. She's made poor choices. She's backslidden. You know, we have these phrases, don't we, as Christians, that kind of label people's behaviors. Never once did it occur to them that there could be something more sinister at work, that there's something actually to do with what had happened to her. Nobody even thought that because of what I describe as being the the culture that we come. So mm-hmm. grew up in really by the time she was 15 uh, her behavior was so poor and so um, destructive she was uh, she was self-harming she was uh, taking drugs she was staying out all night and it got to the point where she was going to get expelled permanently expelled from school and my parents called me and said we just so desperately need to get her away from the people she's with they lived in Leicestershire 100 miles away from where I lived Uh, Me and my husband just moved into a brand new detached house, we didn't have our own children yet, and they said, can she come and stay with you? Can she come and live with you for a while? It's the only thing we can think to take her out of the environment she's in. Um, I have to be honest with you, my, my initial response was no. But about six months before this question from my mother, I'd heard Nancy Alcorn speak at my church. And Nancy Alcorn, for anyone who doesn't know, is the founder and president of Mercy Multiplied International, which is where Mercy started in 1983. So it's about 1999 now. And I'm listening to this woman speak in my church and she's speaking about this vision of a home for young women with life controlling issues this Christian discipleship program where people can come for free and stay and and experience God's love and forgiveness and life-transforming power that these young women with eating disorders and self-harming and depression and the effects of abuse could come and be safe and have a space to grow and learn and change and be transformed by God. I listened to this and something in me literally came alive. And I prayed a really dangerous prayer that day, which was here I am, Lord, send me, (laughs) which was I don't know what she's talking about and how it affects me, but something's shifting and I feel like I'm on fire Mm -hmm. and I'm putting my hand up, Lord. And I'm saying if there's any way I could be involved with that, if there's any way we could make something like that happen here in this country, let me be a part of it. Mm -hmm. That was my prayer, heartfelt prayer. Six months later, I get that phone call from my mother and, and God reminded me of that prayer. He's like, I thought you said you wanted to be sent. I thought you said. And, and, and when I prayed that prayer, I had multitudes of nameless, faceless young women in my mind where, mm-hmm. that I'd be able to help. I did not know that the first home I would ever open would be my own. And I didn't know that the first broken young woman I would ever come across would be my own sister. Yeah, and those first few months at my house when she came to live with us was heartbreaking and eye-opening and revelationary and changed Mm. me in so many ways because I didn't realize there was such a thing as Christian brokenness. And it's where mercy finds its most, we're most effective there because there's one thing when people have been through tough stuff in life and then you introduce them to Jesus and they go, oh, my goodness, everything that I've been through, I can now bring to the feet of Jesus and in my salvation experience and in in that journey, I can make sense of what's happened to me because I didn't know Jesus. And now I do. And now he's part of my future. Well, what happened with my sister was, We discovered that from the age of 12 to 15, she wasn't being rebellious. She was abused. And she'd met a guy or rather a guy had met her, had groomed her from the age of 12 in the local playground, packed his car up, her and her friends playing. He bought them presents. He took them for drives in his car and he singled her out. And within weeks and then for three years, he abused her. And not once did she think she was being abused. She thought he was her boyfriend, even though he was in his late 20s, early 30s. And so so suddenly everything shifts because you think, no, she wasn't rebellious, she was abused. And all of her behaviors weren't, this. they they were symptoms of her um, pain and her trauma. And as she was living with us and she, kind of disclose what had happened uh, which was an awful awful time I realized that the help she needed was different it wasn't like oh let me introduce you to Jesus because part of her issue wasn't just what had happened it was well where was God this God who I've been told from the day I was born that he loves me he's my protector my savior my rescuer my redeemer my rock and my salvation he wasn't any of those things to me Because when I was 12, he did not protect me. He didn't see me. He didn't guard me. And those are very real questions, very important questions that I think we can often be uncomfortable with. Uh, They make us uncomfortable because we can't answer those questions. Um, Only God can. And one of the powerful things about mercy and the, the environment we create is that those are the very questions that you are permitted and encouraged to ask God. Your facilitator is not going to answer them, your priest, your vicar, your minister, your best friend, only God. And he is not afraid of your anger or your hurt or your disappointment. He's inviting us into a conversation. That's amazing. So what happened with Debbie next? Within a few um, months, I gave her Nancy Alcorn's book, um, Echoes of Mercy, which is basically a collection of testimonies. Uh, We have since done a a similar version called Love Mercy here in in the UK. Um, And I gave her that book and I said, I think you need to read this. And as she read those testimonies, she saw herself reflected in some of those stories of other young women who had been through similar things and how mercy had been a place that was safe for them to explore and process and find healing. And, but she put that book away and, She knew one day she'd end up going, but she didn't know when and how. And a few more years passed and it wasn't until she was 18 when she hit rock bottom that um, she said, I think I need to go to Mercy. Now, obviously, we didn't have anything in the UK. I'd heard Nancy speak. I'd been part of a volunteer team for a few years by then. We'd prayed and fasted and did fashion shows to raise money and kind of did all the things you do in the beginning stages of a vision, but there was nothing solid. We certainly didn't have a home and no hope of seeing one anytime soon. Mm. So I called uh, Nancy, obviously we'd been in touch because I'd been part of the team here to try and set something up. And I said, my sister needs to come to mercy. And Nancy said, well, your sister needs to call us then, which is one of the the, the very difficult lessons that we uh, teach those around the person who wants help is that it has to be the person themselves uh, that that asks for the help. Uh, So often we want to help others around us more than they even want it themselves. Uh, So she said, your sister needs to call. And so so Debbie did. And it turned out that she became the first young woman from the UK to be accepted onto the program in America. And she was there for seven months. And she she tells the story better than I do of her encounter with God there, her ability and and a freedom and invitation to let rip as she calls it. And she had a moment in her journey there where she really had it out with God. She raged against him and every bad words she could think of every hurt every disappointment every feeling of abandonment and rejection she felt she let him know about that and he responded in the way only God can you know and he whispered to her as she was about to leave the, the basketball court where she was and every time she banged the ball on the court she would call him another name and ended it with well what do you have to say for yourself and she said it went deadly quiet for a few seconds and as she was about to walk away she literally heard felt in every sense of her being the words I love you which don't seem enough and yet they were everything she needed to hear you know those three words I love you she'd been told since she was a small child that Jesus loved her that God loved her that she was loved but to hear it from him and to receive it from him. And and that began the journey of her having a conversation with God that that set her free and began her healing journey. And seven months later, she came back to the UK. Um, The the new spark of life in her eyes, uh, the deadness gone, the anger taken away and healed. And um, she made her peace with what happened. She is now, many years later, it's her 20th year. So it's 20 years ago now. Uh, she is married with two children and she is the COO of Mercy UK. She has become one of our greatest secret weapons, being able to reach some hard-to-reach young women when she has both sides of the story and both sides of the experience. Uh, so it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful testimony.
1: It is, is an incredible testimony. And that, that lived experience is so powerful for, for yeah. both of you. Um, yeah. How... So when she came back from America what how quickly after that did the first Mercy UK home open?
0: She graduated in 2020 uh, 2001 and we opened our doors in 2006 so it was five years from then.
1: And that that must have been an incredible journey I mean I've, I've visited the Mercy house it is yes. beautiful it, it literally took my breath away but you know like I'm walking around and probably like most people, my first thought is like, wow, this doesn't come cheap. Like no. it must have been a, a big journey from scratch to yes. you know, a residential accommodation like Mercy.
0: Absolutely. I mean, let me let me first of all tell you that the three founding principles of Mercy are that we don't charge for any part of the, the residential programme at all. It's completely free of charge. We give 10% of all our unrestricted donations away to other ministries and charities and churches And then we don't take any government funding that has strings attached and will dilute the message of the gospel, which is central in anyone experiencing freedom within mercy's four walls. Jesus is at the center of that. Whatever the problem is, Jesus is the answer. So Mm. so if we can't have that, then without it, then we don't take the money. So that is the craziest business plan anyone's ever come up with. To not charge your clients, to give money away and to be fussy about where it comes from in the first place, shouldn't work. Still, 15 years later, I'm not entirely sure how it works, except for the fact that God ordains it so. And that's one of the things I'll say for anyone listening or reading who is, you know, how do you start something when God gives you a vision and you and you see it, but you don't know where even to begin. There's so much we can do in our own strength. And there's many things we did in our own strength. We did all the paperwork. We we started the charity. We lodged the papers with Charities Commission. We set up a charitable company. We opened the bank account. You name it. We did all the things but there comes a moment when you've done everything you can humanly do. And if it's a God vision, it's usually bigger than what people can make happen. Mm. And you need that divine intervention. You need the miracle. You need it for lots of reasons. For me, I needed the miracle because when, when it got tough, and it did, when the tears go, when the sleepless nights come, when the deep sense of responsibility and oh my goodness, I'm so over my head right now. Mm. You have to be able to look back and go, OK, but it wasn't me. I didn't start this. It was God. And mm. he got me this far and he's going to keep me going. And that was for us at the, in the mercy journey that happened when Nancy came and spoke at a women's conference called Cherish in Bradford. And in the crowd was a a trustee of a Christian trust fund who listened to the vision, who heard that about Mercy and that there was a a UK team getting ready to to start something. Um, And she came and identified herself and was put in touch with the with the volunteers that she she asked us to apply uh, for a fund that we would then be able to buy a house. But I found out later that the intention was only to give us 50,000 pounds as a kind of starting up uh, seed fund until God intervened and said to the trustees, I actually want you to give them a house, buy them a house. And Mm -hmm. so once that happened, everything went into um, overdrive. I think that happened in around 2004 um, and it took us 18 months from the from the yes from this trust fund to get everything in place for us to be able to receive it because it needed to be received into a, into a charitable um, company rather than just to individuals. And we had to find the property, buy the property uh, and then get ready to start opening the property. So from getting the keys to opening the doors was about 18 months or so
1: and now you have i mean prior to lockdown you, you um you can take about 20 young women at any one time into residential accommodation um i think those numbers are, are lower at the moment aren't they because they of, are lower
0: we've reduced them uh, to 12 yeah. um We've needed, we've, we, and, and it's for lockdown helped us do that in the sense that it wasn't a, a good time to make some major changes in the setup of the home. But it was also in response to feedback from residents over the years of needing some more space. It isn't just bedroom space they needed. So we've got a music room, we've got a craft room. Uh, we, there's just a little more space created where they're not all packed in so tight. We also needed to separate the staff out because the staff overnight, staff that's sleeping overnight, were sharing a, a, a room. And that isn't, that wasn't, we couldn't do that during COVID because they needed to be separated for social distancing. The, mm-hmm. the residents are a household, but the staff are not. So the staff have to socially distance at all times and wear PPE. So we needed to separate the staff out. And and I think we'll keep that permanently because the staff have just said that the experience of working night shifts has vastly increased in, in positivity. And um, I read on your website that you, you might even have plans for a second Mercy
1: Home. Is that true? Yes,
0: we do have. Pla- well, those plans are. Uh, definitely, in the, we are looking at Northern Ireland as a, as a place we want to expand out into. Mm. Whether that becomes an exact copy of what we have in Yorkshire uh, is still up for grabs. I think we are looking at some other models of perhaps having a dual-purpose uh, site where there is some residential facility, but also uh, training and resourcing and maybe more like an outpatient freedom centre so we can help more people uh, with less resources. So we are definitely looking at expanding and changing some of the things. After lockdown, we put the programme online so that they would still have their daily programme, but they would access it via online means. And we actually found that to have some serious benefits that we are now keeping in place so that any applicant can zoom in to the morning program every day they can and want to to get to know the staff to get to know the other residents before they even set foot in the property in person they've already kind of transitioned into it and it's really helping transition in and transition out of the of the home and we're exploring whether or not we can uh, have complete online or, or partial where, where people with children, for instance, who can't have their children taken care of for six months could perhaps um, come and do most of the programme online and then come into the home for maybe six weeks or so. The, the lockdown season has definitely lifted some of the, um, weirdly lifted some of the restraints.
1: Yeah, it's, I think a lot of people have found that they've been forced almost to uh, find new methods of working. <laughs> Just from reading the local newspapers and, and and watching what's going on in society, there there's so much need. There are so many people that are hurting and broken right. and there, there would be no way on earth you could ever get them all into one home. So exactly. expanding the reach of what Mercy does um, would seem to be an incredibly positive thing. And I know that you also put a lot of time and effort into trying to equip churches to help yes. their own congregations, don't you?
0: Yes, absolutely. We are very aware that everybody's on a journey mercy the home and what we provide is just a step along the way it's not the end the the answer to the needs of our society is going to come through the church it's not going to come through charities and ministries and uh you know we are very maybe it's because I'm a local church girl I've been in the same church for 35 years that I am a fully fledged cheerleader of the local church and I believe that as a ministry our job is to strengthen the church is to come alongside the church and to see the church as being so instead of us saying hey we're helping young women and you're a church and you should care about the fact that we're helping young women so why don't you come on board with our vision and help us reach more young women we came to a place many years ago now over a decade ago where we said actually you're helping people let us come on board with your vision and help you do that better, because we understand and we've been mandated and anointed with certain skills and certain knowledge and a certain ability that we believe the church needs and can make use of. And so we started doing training courses on how to be a people helper and keep say stay whole yourself, you know, how do you being one of those pastoral people giving out and giving out and giving out, how do you put boundaries in place? How do you protect yourself against, you know, manipulation or codependency or the Messiah complex or, you know, so we we've done a training called empower that is for churches to take on board. And we, we provide that for churches for their home group leaders, life group leaders uh, or any kind of small group youth workers, parents, Uh, you know those pastoral people that sit in the pews of every church up and down this country who have coffees with people on a weekly basis so those are the people we want to equip and train and help and support
1: holier than thou radical delusional ignorant perfect it's time to challenge stereotypes about christians and premier christianity is leading the way
0: Transform your perceptions, broaden your horizons, open your mind to wide-ranging views. Read
1: interviews with politicians, theologians, and TV presenters.
0: Discover the breadth of the Christian spectrum.
1: Be provoked, react, inspired, and informed. Get the print magazine and full online access for just £4.95 a month. Subscribe
0: today at
1: premierchristianity.com.
0: Premier Christianity magazine. The bigger picture.
1: Mercy goes way beyond a house for young women, doesn't it? And it's, it's a huge yeah. organisation that, that you and your sister have, have built over um, the past 15 years, now, especially as a mum and a wife, a woman in leadership. What have, what have been some of the big challenges for you over the past 15 years?
0: Well, they've come in many, many shapes and sizes. I think, I think the two biggest challenges I faced in the last 15 years in my leadership journey were one, um, work-life balance, um, how to have your cake and eat it. I had an experience where for the first two or three years, well, two years of mercy and pioneering that and being a pioneering kind of person and feeling the weight of God in what I was building gave me an energy and a momentum that was almost a little blind.
1: Mm-hmm. I was
0: riding a horse called Passion, riding it hard, and I was gave it my everything. And my children were very young at the time. My husband is a CEO of a large organization, so he was working many hours as well. And suddenly everything else seemed less important than what I was giving birth to, you know, and there was lots of friction <laughs> in our household for, for a while of, you know, this this change of pace and me being much, much less available. In fact, not available at all. remember one particular discussion one night. I'll call it a discussion. But I had had enough of this said discussion and decided to go for a drive. And I said to God, you have to help him understand what you're <laughs> doing in and through me. Like give him the dream like he did with Joseph, where, you know, Joseph wasn't getting it either. So, you know, you'd give him Mary something to carry and Joseph didn't get it. So give him a dream or something. And (laughs) uh, God arrested me that night. Honestly, it changed my life. He said, I pulled over the car because I felt the presence of God just entered the car so heavily. I pulled over and God said to me, he said, I only have you to be his wife. And I only have you to be a mother to the two sons I've given you. I can ask anyone to do what you're doing at Mercy. And if you don't get it right, I'll take Mercy out of the equation and make it easy for you. He said, passion is a wild horse and very few learn to ride him well. It will give you speed. It will give you oversight. It will get you over obstacles. It will, you know, all those benefits of passion are great. Like like it will rally troops around you, but if you don't ride passion, you will trample flowers you're supposed to protect, and you'll ride past the landscape you're supposed to enjoy, and you'll end up in a place at a time you were never meant to be. So put some reins on passion, and and get your priorities right. Understand what only you can do. And I went back to that conversation with a tail between my legs having to have the most difficult conversation I've ever had, where I have to sit down and eyeball my husband and say, if we can't get this right between us, I will walk away from mercy. Hardest thing. And I had to mean it. And I'm not saying I'm the only one that had to change. He had to make adjustments too. But we had to sit down and put boundaries in place and actually value what was what no one else can build. Only we can build our marriage. And so we had to put the time and effort into building the marriage we want. And and that was some, and I started to I had to realize I'm not indispensable at mercy, ask other people to do things um, and be okay with them doing it and say no to things. So it was, it was a really, really important, you know, transformational lesson for me. Interestingly, the second I made those adjustments and put boundaries in place, the grace flowed. And I found I was able to do more than I was doing before. Whilst being at home and having, you know, we decided we needed three nights a week where neither of us were on the phone or on a laptop to build our marriage. We, you know, that's since not been the same, but I, you know, there was some things we put in place that were were relevant to our situation and that we agreed upon. That's number one. And the second one was the responsibility of the finances. People Mm -hmm. often ask me, well, how do you fund mercy? And the answer is miraculously. And being miraculously funded means we need a level of faith That is unnatural um, and something that takes you beyond your own abilities and your own. We are so naturally reliant on our own resources and our own strength, especially if you're a naturally strong and resilient and capable person, you very quickly default to own resources. And God has had me in a place for 15 years now where I cannot rely on my own resources. And it's both the most scary and most exhilarating place to live your life. And and talk about getting out of the boat. I spend my life out (laughs) on the water and I uh, don't remember the last time we saw land. And I have almost drowned a few times. Um, And and God has, in his kindness and his mercy, pulled us out with miracle. I mean, the miracle stories, I could tell you. Tell me your favorite. My favorite one. Okay, this is my favorite one. For some reason, we went through a period of always needing 12 grand. and We don't have debt. We don't take any. There's not a bank in the world that would give us money anyway on a, on a <laughs> business plan like I just described. So when, when our bank account is to zero, it's to zero. And so we went through a season early on where we didn't have enough money to pay our staff. And we needed 12 grand. Um, we had about 500 pounds in our bank account. I decided we were going to do all the things that people do when they're in a fix. So we were going to we were going to fast and pray and find every scripture in the Bible that talks about God's provision and financial generosity and all those things. We were going to storm heaven. Uh, We were going to stand on the word. And some of us were literally going to stand on the Bible. We were going to declare and decree and do all the things. So I had it all planned. I called the the team (laughs) meeting. This is what we're going to do. We are going to, because we cannot pay salaries. So this is panic mode, desperation. And on my way to the meeting, the Holy Spirit, it happens a lot in my car, literally again I felt him and he's got something to say because I'm like okay God we're gonna you better be ready because we are going to be storming heaven for the finances of this ministry and I know you won't let the residents down and he stopped me and he said I do not want you to pray about finances tonight finances are incidental to me I want you to pray for every single resident in the home right now and I was like Well, they might be incidental to you, Lord, but they're not to me. It's I'm barely eating. I am having heart potations because there are people who can't pay their mortgages if they don't get paid. And and you're and you're saying it's incidental. (laughs) However, I have known God long enough to know that when he tells you something, the easiest thing to do is just to do it and to just get out of the way and just do what he tells you to do. So I went to the meeting, said, "Okay, guys, change your plan we are going to do all the things we said, but not for finance. We're going to write every girl's name on the board. We're going to ask the Lord for a scripture that's going to be her scripture that we pray and intercede on her behalf. We're going to storm heaven. We're going to declare and decree. We're going to fast. We're going to stand on the word. We're going to do everything we do, but we're going to aim it at our residents because that's why we're here. They are our why. They are the reason why we started. So let's get to it. And we did. And the following morning, I... Still can't believe it. Every time I tell this story, it gets me. There was a knock on my door in my office and a resident walks in. She's holding an envelope. And she says to me, for the last three months, the Lord has been really talking to me about my security being in my savings and how I need to trust him and step out in trusting him. He said, I, she said, I know it costs £12,000 for me to be here and someone's paid that for me. She said, so I'm here to give you £12,000 to pay for the girl who comes after me. And she handed me a cheque for £12,000. And I burst into tears Mm -hmm. and I said to her, you will never know how much it means to me that what you've just done, what you've Mm -hmm. done for me, how you've ministered God's faithfulness and his miracle, it still makes me cry now, that it would come from one of them. It still blows my mind he always asks for obedience and then overflow comes so obedience and then overflow
1: and then um, do you think growing up you know pastors kids uh, family who are deeply involved in open doors and and ministries like that has that given you a faith heritage that's helped you through some of those hard times do you think
0: i'd love to say yes but actually i think i'm the oldest of five and I, we don't all go to church we don't all walk out our faith in the way Me and my sister Debbie do. So I don't think it's from upbringing. I think there's something, it's a prayer I've prayed over my children actually, that I think is something that happens when you grow up in a Christian home that you can get to know all about God and yet not know God. I have prayed that over my children that they would, you know, from Isaiah 54, that all my children would be taught by the Lord and great would be my children's peace. You know, so that it wouldn't be just they were taught by the church although we're taught by their parents, although we're tra- taught by the culture around them. No, let them be those who would be taught by the Lord, mm-hmm. that there'd be an actual connection, a relationship um, with Christ. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why Keys to Freedom focuses so much on establishing someone's individual relationship with Jesus, that they would recognize the voice of God for themselves, so that it's not reliant on secondary revelation, on external external stimulus to be able to somehow find God in it, but that there's just this deep sense of being able to recognise that whisper of the Holy Spirit. And learn what that looks like for you because everyone's different. Some people see it visually. Some people have a sense inside themselves. Some people, you know, hear God best when they're outside. And some people don't even hear God. They just sense something or they read a scripture or watch a movie. God is very capable of communicating to his people in the way that they are best able to hear him and recognize him. And so for me, nobody taught me faith. I, the church I was raised in was very life application, so we didn't get taught about faith. My parents didn't sit down and teach us about believing God. We prayed prayers and we learned the Bible. So all the mechanics were there. But that, that connection came, I think, because I invited it. I remember having a real encounter with God when I was five. And and then when I was in the situation of drowning, because God had asked me to step out of the boat, and I did and then promptly drowned, felt like the water was closing over me. I had no choice but to learn what faith is. And I had to, I read lots of books, all the old uh, masters, Kenneth Copeland, and and you can say all sorts about them. You know, I know there's lots of controversy, but sometimes you need someone who's right right on the extreme of something to gain a little bit of movement in your own perception. And I was so far over this way of not really understanding what faith looks like in an everyday walk with God of, of being outside of your own, of being in miracle territory. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, I thought that God would respond to need and he doesn't, he responds to faith. If God responded to need, then there would be no need in the world because why would he respond to your need and not my need? There's no differential. God doesn't differentiate between need um so so need is not the trigger for god's response it's faith and so and faith really if you want to swap it it means trust faith is just another word for trust if you replace the word faith in the bible with trust it's pretty much the same thing
1: so if as you enter into your 15th year what what's next for mercy and for ariana
0: obviously only so many people can come to a home it's very restrictive. If you're not 18 to 30 something and female, you've got no chance of ever coming to mercy. So we needed to have something else. And Keys to Freedom came about about three or four years ago. And it's based on the on the same principles that we teach inside the residential home. 30 odd years now of, of these principles of, of Keys to Freedom being in action and being tested and tried. We know they work. They are the basic discipleship principles that every christian needs to know and understand and put to work in their life so we put them together in a workbook called keys to freedom eight weeks 20 minutes a day five days a week with a pen a bible and the holy spirit any individual male female whatever age whatever background um, whether they're a brand new christian or have been in leadership in church for 20 years it is the same Um, journey we all need to go on where we involve the Holy Spirit and it's devotional style. So it's read this, write out, ask the Holy Spirit, how does this affect you? And this is interactive journey you can go on by using Keys to Freedom that we have had an absolute ton of testimonies of people who in their own front room, in their own kitchen, in their own bedroom, have had encounters with God that has literally um, transformed their deepening of relationship with him and then with themselves, making peace with themselves and their past and then setting them up for having a much improved relationship with other people. Uh, So I would absolutely say that Keys to Freedom is our greatest achievement over the last few years because we've been able to multiply the principles of freedom out from beyond a restrictive four walls to the churches. There's now over 400 churches that use Keys to Freedom as their chosen discipleship model. We've had 18,000 copies of sold in the last three years, and it's now in four languages across Europe. Uh, Mercy Beyond is a new organisation that we've set up to be able to facilitate the growth beyond the borders of the UK. Uh, And so then there are now associations in uh, the Faroe Islands, in Germany, in Holland, in Sweden, who are all beginning to use keys to freedom in their own language. It's been translated and are able to then roll that out through the churches in those countries. And that fills me with immense joy to really be able to put tools in the hands of churches and tools in the hands of individual people that they can live free and stay free. And we're going to see that grow, that our future is uh, expansion and multiplication and, and making it easier for people to access resources and, and just being, uh, being along. The, uh, we want to be along the journey with people. We don't want to just dump and leave. Uh, so Keys to Freedom isn't just a resource that we send out to you and, you and leave you alone. It can be if you want it to be, but we're also there to help support people. We're on the end of the phone. We've got emails set up if people want to interact or be in a group together. So we've got all sorts set up for that. Personally, it's a good question. Obviously, mercy is is everything to me. I love it. Uh, And I do think there's probably other things I want to explore. I'm looking at maybe doing a master's. I'd love to be able to help leaders on a one-to-one basis. I'd love to do some personal consultancy and just be someone, a safe person for other leaders to come to and go, you know what, This, this really sucks. My marriage is in trouble or my kids hate God or, you know, whatever it might be going on behind closed doors. I have been in leadership long enough to know that it's one of the most difficult places you can find yourself. And I want to be the kind of person that people can pick up the phone to and go, "Okay, can we just talk? Can we just have some time?
1: And if you'd look back and you'd told 15 year old Ariana that this is where you would be and this is what you'd have done by this stage in your life. What would she have said? What what, what were your plans at that age? Were you always destined to, to do something like Mercy or did, did you have other plans growing up?
0: I was one of these people who when you said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would reel off about 15 different things. Every week, I had a new idea of what I might want to do. I wanted to be an air hostess. I wanted to work in an outdoor adventure place. Uh, I wanted to run my own business. I, there's so many things I wanted to do. But really, if you boil it all down at the very core of me and who I am, I'm an Enneagram 7, if anyone's into Enneagram. I'm a perpetual adventure. I want to have an adventure with God. That was my heart's desire. And I tried to dress it up in all sorts of, maybe it could be this or this or this. But really what I've learned along the way is if you just stick close enough to God, God is adventurous. He is an adventurous God. He's wild. And if you're the kind of person that loves adventure, just hang on for dear life. Um, And so, yes, I didn't know or think that I would be doing this. I didn't know till I was 32 that I would be doing this because what I wanted to do didn't exist until that point. So I never had an answer to that question until and even now you've said what do you want to do? I'm still a little bit like, oh I could do Mercy could sit in my right hand, but I think that my left hand might be able to do something else as well.
1: Well, you know, obviously being a, a good journalist, I, I, I've done my background research on you. So just a small glance at your Instagram um, tells me that you, you seem to enjoy the odd adventure anyway. And, See, um,
0: well, you can imagine how hard the past year has been for me. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think you've done lots of those crazy things, actually raising money for Mercy as well, haven't yes. you? Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely in favour of win-win situations. So yeah, I'll throw myself out of there aeroplane um and raise money whilst I'm doing it. <laughs> so obviously lockdown has been
1: really tough for a lot of people. And, and working in the kind of area that you do, I'm obviously I'm sure you've seen the sharp end of it. For churches that are now having to come back into picking up the pieces pastorally of of people that have really struggled during lockdown, whether it's with their mental health or with addictions or with abuse or all of the other things that you know yeah. under normal circumstances are horrendous. Lockdown has, has just been even worse. What, what's the best thing we can do for the people in our lives that, that need us to come alongside them in, when they're struggling?
0: I think, first of all, the best thing we can do is that the best you can give other people is a healthy you. Um, so definitely keep investing in yourself, uh, in your own relationship with God, uh, in your own sense of well-being and self-care, because the more resourced you are, the more of a resource you can be. Uh, I think one of the things for churches as a whole is is to remember where their source comes from. Uh, Again, it goes back to the same thing I was saying. If we keep giving out of our own resources, even as a church, um, you will wear people out. And and I think what I'm seeing is lots of people are already on empty They're running on empty. Uh, Even though they've been on furlough maybe, there's just this emotional and mental demand that we've just been through anxiety levels are really high um, you know people's sense of uncertainty not many people are comfortable with uncertainty and everything is uncertain at the moment so it destabilizes people quite um significantly so i would definitely say a lot of input needs to go in into helping people build resilience uh, build strong connection to to the one thing that is unchangeable and that is god so rather than gathering around um, an event or around an experience. We really need to invest in gathering people around encounter with the living God and how they can encounter him in their own Monday to Friday. Cause Sunday got dismantled. You know, and I think that was one of the biggest um, shocks to people was when Sunday got dismantled, platform got dismantled, um, gathering together The the shared experience of church got dismantled and we we stopped um, being able to rely on the framework of our faith and the framework of Christianity to uphold us. Now it's about the day to day. Like where is God in your front room? Where is God in the shower? Where is God when you're facing something in your family situation behind closed doors that you can't get away from because you're in it? And so I think that finding God in the everyday is definitely been a challenge over lockdown Mm -hmm. and something that I think is going to inform how we do church in the next season. Because I think it was a really valuable lesson, a really valuable wake up call and a really valuable experience for people to, to for some. It was like, you know what, I don't really remember the last time I actually opened my Bible then it wasn't a Sunday morning when the preacher told me to. I don't remember the last time I put worship on in the shower because I needed to fight for my own sense of, you know, despair is, is waving over me. And I need to find hope somewhere. And, and I can't go out to meet my friend who normally helps me with this. So, so w- there was a real kind of wake up call, I think, for people. Definitely investment in discipleship. Peace to freedom. Everybody needs to do peace to freedom. <laughs> oh, thank you so much,
1: Ariana. It's been really, really lovely to talk to you and, and hear all about mercy and your journey and all of the exciting things that's, that God has still got to, to do through that. And um, I can't wait to um, see your next adventure on Instagram.
0: Make sure you- <laughs> I've been very quiet on Instagram recently <laughs> because you know there's only so many pictures of my garden I can show people. <laughs>
1: That was Ariana Walker speaking to me, Emma Fowle, here on Premier Christian Radio. I do hope you enjoyed this interview. For hundreds more conversations just like this, you can download The Profile as a podcast. Just search for The Profile wherever you normally get your podcast from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile.